This morning, the word comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 12 through 20. Beginning at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. But in Christ, but in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead and the first fruits of those who have died. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please pray with me. God, as the dew falls fresh early in the morning, let your Holy Spirit fall fresh on us. Let us receive your word as you intended. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin with a few definitions. So let's define the word ill, I-L-L, not E-E-L. So let's, let's straighten that out. I-L-L, how do we define the word ill? Sick. Unwell, yes. Anyone else? It's like, that's it? Is that all we got? All right, very well, we did well. The word ill as an adjective can mean unsound um, physically or mental health, right? Unwell, we said that. Sick, we said that. Or objectionable, unsatisfactory, poor, faulty. Now the word rep is an abbreviated form of represent. So when we represent or to represent, what is the denotation? What's the definition of that? To represent. To stand for. I heard something else, but was, to take part. Did someone say to take part? To go for? To act for? Yes, to be an ambassador for, right? True, all true. So to rep. As a verb, it means to serve, to express, designate, stand for, we said that, or denote as a word, symbol, or the like does, to symbolize. It can also mean, as we said, to stand in for, to act in place of, to substitute, a proxy, an agent. to act as a delegate with authority. Now, if you add an ing, we're, we still make it a verb, but it's, it's more active, right? So when we have the abbreviated form of rep and we add ing, repping, 
it still holds the same definition. Now, when we hyphenate it with ill, ill repping, then what do we mean? Poor representation. Exactly. They're being a poor agent for, to ill rep. In the text, Paul is writing to the Corinthians to basically tell them they are ill repping the gospel. They are ill repping God. Shut it down. So let's give a little bit of background about Paul. Who is Paul? What do we know about Paul? We talk about him a lot. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. So when we venture into the New Testament, Paul comes up. So what do we know about him? He was a Roman. He was a man. He was a Pharisee. He was an apostle. All right. All right, y'all are paying attention. All right, Pinnacle. God renamed him. Yes. His name was originally Saul. Whoa, all right. Somebody's been going to Bible study. Mike, is this you? Is this you doing this? Yes. Uh, Paul was originally Saul. And why does he get this name change? He got reprimanded. Yes, he was persecuting Christians, right? So it's a, a new, new name, new role. All right? So you said that Paul was a Pharisee. Now, going back into the text, what is Paul seeking to correct? What theology is Paul seeking to straighten out? Yes, the resurrection. Correct. And so Pharisees believed in bodily resurrection. So Paul, Paul following Christ is not a deviation in his theology from what happens when, when we die, right? So this is something that we're going to stick a pin in because we'll be coming back to it later, that it's not a new concept that Paul is sharing with the Corinthians, in the sense of what the, the Jews in that era were believing. They were believing in a bodily resurrection. To have a disembodied existence was anathema. It was not desired to, to be this spirit that floated, just existed, was not ideal. But we know that even in our, our Christian context, even now, we, that idea is prevalent right? I mean, if you look at certain movies, uh, there's this idea that we're all just kind of spirits, just kind of like floating around, right? That was not, that is not the case. I won't even say was not. That is not the case, and that was not uh, the belief of that, uh, that was happening at this time. So, we have that. Now, when does Paul meet Jesus? on the road to Damascus. Is this before Jesus is crucified or after Jesus is crucified? After Jesus is crucified. That's major. The other apostles were with Jesus when Jesus was living. Paul meets Jesus, gets his mission from Jesus after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. So Paul himself can testify to the bodily resurrection that happens. 
So not only is the witness of the women who were at the tomb and saw Jesus and those who were disciples at that time and saw Jesus after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, Paul sees Jesus after he has been crucified and resurrected. So Paul is not speaking from a place that he doesn't know. Paul knows and understands. So that's Paul. So when we get to Corinthians, Paul is having to counter this notion of a non-resurrection of the body. So for Paul, and this was a Greek and Roman world, this was this is what they believed. You can you you didn't have the body. Like this is the notion that Paul is is up against, that you have this spirit that just lives eternally and the body is cast aside. The body dies. So let's not be too harsh on the Corinthians, right? If you have a culture where that's what you've been told, that's how you were raised, generations before you, that's what you were taught. No one has a different opinion. And then to take on this this new faith, this new religion, or to gain a new understanding about who God is, they were conflicted. How do you reconcile with what you were taught and how you were raised with this, this gospel message? And so one of the solutions was to say, okay, so Christ died, was resurrected. We're good for that but not everybody else. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. Paul is saying that to deny one is to deny the other, that they are interdependent, that they are tethered together, that if we believe that Jesus has been resurrected, that we then receive that same bodily resurrection. And we hear it now and we think like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Anyone, any, oh, you don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. But we are set into this interdependent concept though, to be in Christ. We say that we are in Christ. So we're going to define the preposition in, or we're going to define the word in and see how it functions. So in, what does in mean? You ever think about it? We use it all the time. You are in my face. You are in my business. <laughs> uh, Yes, it functions differently, right? So as a, as, as a preposition, expressing the situation of something that is or appears to be enclosed or surroundable by something else. So to be in, to be surrounded by, as a preposition, as an adverb, expressing movement with the results that something or someone becomes enclosed or surrounded by something else. So adverb, movement, right? Adjective of a person presents at one, present at one's home or office. So like, is he in? No, she's not here. Noun, a position of influence. I'm in with the in crowd. Do you remember that song? Some of us, not really. 
I go where the in crowd goes. I'm in with the in crowd. I know what the in crowd knows. Okay, I'm done. All right, so, uh, <laughs> but to be in is to, to know what's going on, to, to, have, to have a level of influence, right? I'm in, I'm there, position of influence, to get in. All right, so when we are in Christ, which one you think is being used? Is it the preposition to be surrounded? Is it the adverb expressing movement? Is it the adjective? Um, yeah, Jesus is in me now. Um, noun, a position of influence. What would you say? Both, both and all. <laughs> right? Right? To be in Christ, surrounded by. Christ is in. Is Jesus in? Yes, Jesus is in me. Right? Jesus to be in Christ. A position of influence. Right? Doing this in Jesus' name. I have influence. Right? This isn't just me coming forward. I'm coming on behalf of. I am representing. I am in Christ. This defies the logic, though. Right? It pushes against what we understand. The bodily resurrection of thinking about the Corinthians, it doesn't make sense. God is always doing things that don't make sense. And then we are told not only to believe, but then to share. Right? We are told to believe that God can, God will, God does, God has. And then God will do it again. So why is Paul so miffed? Why is Paul adamant about this bodily resurrection? What are the implications? This, is, this text is the most that we get of this bodily resurrection. So why is Paul so concerned that the Corinthians understand it, get it, and then share it? Let's see. If there is no bodily resurrection, as Paul puts it, what have we been talking about? Nothing, right? Our gospel is about Christ's death and resurrection and that we share in that. So if you're dividing the, the events, if you're saying one does not assume the other, then, then why, why are we even doing what we're doing. What is the point? The power of the Savior is diminished. The power of the Savior is denied because even Christ is saying that you will be with me in heaven unless the sun is lifted up. If I be lifted up, I will draw all unto me. That's Christ. So if there's a place for you in heaven. If it were not so, then I would have told you. This is part of Christ's message. So if that's not the case, not only are we lying, but who else is lying? Oh, yes, there it is. Is, is God a liar? Is God human that God should lie? So you see why, why it's a problem, right? It's not just like, oh, let them believe what they believe. 
Paul's like, no, 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 we need to correct this. The perpetuity of the kingdom. If a seed of David will sit on the throne forever, what difference, what, what sense does it make to have a kingdom and no subjects? What is that? That's not a kingdom, that's solitude. Are any of you familiar with the little prince? The story of the little prince? The little prince was on this rock. He had this whole rock planet to himself. And it was like this lone flower who never listened to him. But he was a prince. And as long as he had one subject, I guess that made him a prince, whether the flower obeyed or not. But it's similar to that. What, why listen to you? Yeah, in perpetuity, if your kingdom has an end and God has been saying, I, I reign forever, no end. Here's another thing that I've been alluding to. God keeps God's promises. So that goes back to the lying. Does God lie? If we say no, then there must be bodily resurrection. If we say yes, then that's a whole other issue that we need to address. From Paul's perspective, right? Even from ours. If we come across someone and says, no, God has lied to me. Like, I asked this and God told me this and God did not. We, need, we really look at that individual, right? We go like, huh, how, how has God lied to you? I need to, I need to understand this. It also undermines God's love. Huge. For God so loved the world that God, can you, can you say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall not perish but have everlasting life. So God's love is conditional? No. So you see how believing or misrepresenting one aspect of the gospel that may seem insignificant, it may not seem like a big deal to not believe that there's a life, a bodily resurrection after this, that there is something more after we leave this plane. It may seem small, but the implications are huge. And that's why Paul is seeking to correct it. He said, we can't, we can't continue to have this theology that makes our faith futile, that makes our preaching, that makes it not preaching as in the act of, but preaching as in the context of in what is said, that makes what we say irrelevant. It makes what we say a bunch of lies. We, mess, we misrepresent. People aren't going to trust us. So why do it? The misrepresenting. If this is not the truth, what are we doing? 
modern day. 89% of people who attend church at least twice a month, once to twice, so you guys are good, believe in the bodily resurrection. 48% of those who do not attend regularly agree. So think of the numbers then, 48%, about what, 52% who don't attend regularly don't, don't agree. So they might believe that Christ died and was raised, but they don't believe that human beings share in that. And this is today, 2020, a LifeWay research. So this isn't just what was believed oh ye long ago. This is now. I know some of us pastors have done services and there's been a concern because the person who's being laid to rest or who has died did not believe. What does that mean? That that person could believe in this but not that. Hold on to that. Modern day implications. Mention love. We represent a lot of the theology in the Bible, even today. May not know that we do because it's part of the culture. And we just kind of pick, pick it up, pick it up. Like one, have you heard this? Love hurts. Love is messy. No one? No one's heard that? <laughs> no one's heard that love is messy, love hurts. Yeah, right? Love could be cruel. You've heard that, right? But then when we read the text, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, love is not, love hurting is not mentioned. Love, there's a lot to be said of love, but hurt is not one of those. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It does not keep record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I didn't read Love Hurts. And so when we go out and someone is hurting, we're like, yeah, love can be that way sometimes. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe not. Forgiveness. When we think that we have to work hard for God's forgiveness, when we think we have to earn forgiveness, when we think we have to be worthy of forgiveness, what can I do? To, for, to be forgiven. Tell me and I'll do it. Forgiveness is free. Forgiveness is not about worthiness. Grace and mercy. You see this connection to Corinthians 15. The implications. When we misrepresent. We become poor agents of the gospel. And then why does that matter? Because people then have a misunderstanding of who and what God is and what this faith walk that we're on is all about. So that's why Paul had to correct it. And that's why we have to correct it today. When we hear the gospel being misrepresented, like, no, that's not it. And sometimes we don't want to be assertive in that way because we think, oh, let them have their opinion. But I'm going to tell you this. 
you can disagree with me if you want. I think sometimes opinions are wrong. You know, people say, oh, it's, it's just my opinion, and that's the wrong opinion to have. <laughs> I know boldness. Boldness can be scary, but sometimes we have to say that, especially when there are facts that refute whatever that opinion is. So what are, we, what are the takeaways? What are the takeaways? How do we rightly represent the gospel? Well, the Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. It's a nudging. Sometimes it's an actual shove, spiritual shove. You feel so convicted. You ever want to tell somebody off, and then you just lose steam, like right in the middle of a thought, and you wonder what happened? The Holy Spirit, don't worry about it. Just keep calm. I have this. Or you want, you have these thoughts going on and you haven't expressed them to anyone. And then maybe a friend or, or a colleague or just someone, it could be even a stranger, comes into your life for that moment, for that particular purpose, and gives you hope in whatever that situation is. Have you had that happen to you? And go like, hmm, what a coincidence. No. No. It's God saying, if, if we're in this, if we're in this, if you're following me, I will guide you. I will guide you. So let's represent well with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Amen.